You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. That is true. Joe Biden was telling the truth. At least that one sentence, this is not normal. It was not normal for Joe Biden to allow a balloon from China to sail all the way across America before shooting it down after it left America. It's not normal for Joe Biden and the administration to not tell us what's going on with all of these objects, Alaska, Canada, Lake Huron. That's not normal. It's also not normal for a president of the United States to laugh about this, to giggle when we ask him what's going on here. What's up with China? We're worried. Joe doesn't have a care in the world. Well, Somebody said, we got to do something. We got to say something. So Joe came out today, and I'll give him this. He said something. Good afternoon. Last week, in the immediate aftermath of the incursion by China's high-altitude balloon, our military, through the North American Aerospace Defense Command, so-called NORAD, closely scrutinized uh, the, uh, our airspace, including enhancing our radar to pick up more slow-moving objects above our country. I'm always going to have a hard time believing him, no matter what he says. If you lie about the small things, you lie about the big things. And this delay, the lack of information, it's all strange. Next. We acted in consultation with the Canadian government. I spoke personally with Prime Minister Trudeau and Cam from Canada on Saturday. On Saturday. Today is Thursday. See what I mean? Next. Nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Uh, why couldn't we have heard that a few days ago? The military, they knew that. If these things were run-of-the-mill objects, and oh, by the way, do we owe money to research institutions, <laughs> to recreation companies? This is not right. Something is up once again, and you factor in the delay Anyway, Joe wants to be clear, though. Listen to this. I want to be clear. We don't have any evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky. We're now just seeing more of them partially because the steps we've taken to increase our radars, to narrow our radars. 
Increase our radars. Narrow our radars. How's that for military jargon? I don't know what he's talking about. The military says we have adjusted some of the velocity gates to get us better fidelity on seeing smaller objects. Why did they do that all of a sudden to find all of these research balloons? Maybe so Joe could look like he's in charge and he ordered the military to do something after waiting all that time for the China balloon to just make its way. Is that possible? There's more. Because we knew its path, we were able to protect sensitive sites against collection. We waited until it was safely over water, which would not only protect civilians, but also enable us to recover substantial components for further analysts, for, for, for further analytics. This is the thing that's been repeated a lot, uh, that somehow it would be easier if the material hit the water, like it's softer somehow. It's not easy to get things out of the sea. It's much easier to pick them up off the ground. Uh, again, trying to spin it positively that he let the Chinese basically do a flyby. <laughs> A flyby of America, unobstructed until, until it left the country. And then Joe was very decisive. And then we shot it down, sending a clear message, clear message. The violation of our sovereignty is unacceptable. We'll act to protect our country, and we did. The violation of our sovereignty just happened. It was acceptable to you. You allowed it to happen. All right. None of this makes sense. There were a lot of questions. Joe didn't want any of those questions. I expect to be speaking with President Xi, and I hope we have we are going to get to the bottom of this. But I make no apologies for taking down that balloon. Thank you very much. The question was it, there's been, sir, there's been criticism, there's been criticism that this was, there's been criticism that this, sir, Mr. President, Mr. President, there has been criticism. You see that? He heard China, boom, family business, his head, hmm, and he laughs it off. We know when Joe laughs, he's not laughing on the inside. Next. Criticism that this was an overreaction that was done because of political pressure. You come my office and ask the question when you have more polite people. Mr. President, why have you chosen Poland for your trip to mark anniversary of the war? And what's your message? What? When are you speaking to President Xi, Mr. President? That's not leadership. That's uh, weakness. That's ineptitude. That's... And by the way, did he say the reporters were being rude? This is the guy who blew off America for... Uh, a week, 10 days plus, without an adequate explanation as to what actually happened. This is a very bad moment for him. Although they're in denial about it, I want to talk more about his prospects for re-election. They're actually entertaining it in a little bit. But first, uh, let's go to Ohio and that horrible situation that it's kind of incredible that corporate America, the highest levels of our government, are blowing off these poor people. And very strange things are happening in that area after the train derailment and the chemicals. Look at this. Watch what happens to the water. Wow. Look at all that. Look at it. It's all in the bottom of the creek bed.
Now, I've seen fuel on water before, but not like this. And the way it bubbled up, that was weird. And dead animals all over the place. Look at this. These are frogs. Fish, geez. And the people have been complaining about rash, headaches, all kinds of things. And they're asking for help and they're not getting it. I have property that I own here and I have a well and I want to know what's going on with this. Is this seeping going to keep seeping into our ground, into our water? Now that we're home, you don't know what to think. You know, suspicious and paranoid and worried. I think we all want answers. Everybody wants to know what the hell's in the air, in the water. I want to know what I sucked into my lungs. Norfolk Southern should have a presence here. I mean, it was their train cars that went off the rail. I mean, it seems highly inappropriate that you wouldn't have Norfolk Southern here to at least say something. And why wasn't Norfolk Southern there? The CEO, why not? You got to answer these questions. They were afraid. After consulting with community leaders, we have become increasingly concerned about the growing physical threat to our employees. With that in mind, Norfolk Southern will not be in attendance this evening. They had a town hall, but they didn't come. They're getting they're getting the school board treatment. Remember when Merrick Garland and the FBI started to kind of collectively frown upon and potentially criminalize all those people who had concerns about the woke curriculum at schools coast to coast? Yeah. And uh, oh, by the way, the CEO of this company, if he were so worried about his personal security, he could have hired them out of his own salary. OK, so these people in East Palestine, Palestine, I think they call it. Notice something about them. I have a feeling they're not the wokest crowd in the world. Actually, I looked it up. I know they aren't, okay? This is a red county. These are Trump people. They're getting blown off because of that, I do believe. Can you imagine if this happened near San Francisco and the freaks freaked out, okay? I'm sorry, but yeah. If eccentric people with eccentric lifestyles had a problem, had this happened in their neighborhood, there would be action and Pete Buttigieg would be embedded with this crew. All right. You hear about John Fetterman, the the new senator from Pennsylvania. Uh, this is actually kind of sad. He checked into the hospital complaining of depression. He needs treatment for clinical depression. Now, I certainly hope he gets over that. And I have a recommendation in the moment. But this is the guy they said would be a fantastic United States senator. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, they went, they put their arms around this guy that they testified that he was ready, willing, and able to be a United States senator. They lied to us. That comes very, very easy to them, pretending all is normal with an obviously sick man. I'm sorry. It's true. We all saw it. I do want to clarify something. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't I don't I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. So the man with the short pants is now in the United States Senate, and he's miserable, and he wants help, and I hope he gets it. 
you know, psychiatrists, I, uh, I'm sure he's going to have some of that. But if I may, if he's watching, you never know. Faith, God, he can take care of all of your problems, in my opinion. And isn't it too bad that Dr. Oz, a, a man of great integrity, a healthy man, a person who could help so many people, a man who can cut into a body and remove the heart and replace it with a better one, was eclipsed by that guy. I have my, I have my concerns about Pennsylvania. Uh, Joe Biden, they tell us, is healthy. His medical report card came out today. It remains a healthy, vigorous 80-year-old who is fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency. Yeah, I don't believe that either. Sorry, uh, they said the same thing about Fetterman. And he actually said out loud that he has cancer. Joe Biden did just a few weeks ago. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? It had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. He said it. He said it out loud. Of course. Oh, no, no, no. They walked that one back. They're not leveling with us about anything. Ooh, one thing I missed yesterday from Nikki Haley. She has an idea for presidential candidates, I guess, government officials over a certain age. Listen to this. We'll have term limits for Congress. And mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. Uh, somewhat controversial, but guess what? Donald Trump was talking about this three years ago. Remember, they all laughed at him, the cognitive test that he took. Listen to this. Go back to that question and repeat them. Can you do it? And you go, person, woman, man, camera TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have like a good memory because I'm cognitively there. Cognitively there. That's what we want in our presidents, in our officials. Can Joe Biden, can anybody say he is cognitively there or anywhere? Take a look at these polls, by the way. Joe is really anxious to run for re-election. Democrats don't want that to happen. 37% of Democrats want Biden to seek a second term. Only 37%. Look at this number. 58% of Democrats want a new candidate in 2024. But Joe may just plow ahead anyway. Despite that precious, precious thing that we're always hearing about, democracy. It's an exciting time that democracy prevails. We choose democracy. Democracy has prevailed. We need to get democracy moving again. We love our democracy. We are proud of our democracy. It's our democracy in the balance. Well, if democracy really works, uh, that poll says Joe should not run. And if he tries to do it, that'll mean that they'll rig the whole damn thing all over again, in my opinion. Be right back. Have you seen what's happening at Chicago's O'Hare Airport? Homeless people everywhere. You know, not only Lori Lightfoot is incompetent when it comes to crime, managing the homelessness, 
heartbreaking pictures and a city out of control seems to uh, continue to descend. Terrible, terrible situation. Totally hapless uh, government there. All right, I want to run something by you. When everything is racist, nothing is racist. Does that make sense? When everything is racist, nothing is racist. Who said that? Yes, I said that, actually. And uh, I think it applies especially to our next uh, situation with police dogs. Police dogs! They're fabulous. I mean, if you're not a criminal, they're fabulous. Uh, We love police dogs, right? But there is a movement in California to end Police dogs, they want to end the canine force. You see, police dogs are racist. From the brutal attempts to quell the civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter protests, and their day-to-day use in law enforcement, police canines remain a gross misuse of force, victimizing black and brown people disproportionately. Police dogs are amazingly effective and useful, and it's a tool for law enforcement, and they need it. You know, a police dog, you can actually pull back. You can't pull back a bullet. You can't pull back a taser. You can pull back a police dog. And I'm also told this. Take a look at a, a clash during a riot, right? This is, uh, this is pretty intense. You know who can help things not come to this? Police dogs! Here they are keeping uh, folks at bay. And yeah, the intimidation factor, it sometimes works. It's sometimes a positive. But it's California, and uh, that state lawmaker, thats uh, it's a crazy place. Black Californians were more than twice as likely to fall victim of police canines and any, than any other group, and 2.6 times more likely than their white counterparts. times more likely. That's awfully precise. I actually don't think they keep that kind of records. But he mentioned disproportionately, well, they don't talk about black and brown people committing a disproportionate amount of the crime. It's a reality that is seldom acknowledged. Next. It is time to stop passing this issue on to the next generation. And it's time for California to atone for its violent past. Yikes, atone. This is a state where they are considering actively uh, reparations for slavery. They're going to make that happen. It's going to be a disaster, but they're going to try to make that happen. One more. But just their existence serves to terrorize and to create a menacing environment in communities that are struggling to survive. Okay, just the existence of police dogs terrorizing communities with menace, those communities just struggling to survive. I don't believe that. These are people who are out to cancel cops, first the police dogs, then the cops. Does this look like a menace? I don't think so, actually. It's a valuable law enforcement tool, all right? And oh, by the way, if you ever met a police dog, they're just fantastic. Just don't mess with them, okay? Just obey the cops and stay out of trouble, right? Have you ever heard of Austin Goolsby? That guy behind Obama there, he's considered a very good economist. And even though he worked with Obama, he's not crazy woke. Apparently, he's somewhat centrist and not crazy. Well, they're thinking about nominating him to the 
Federal Reserve, I think in Chicago. They got different uh, offices around the country. Uh, his chances are slim, according to the Wall Street Journal. If Mr. Biden chooses Mr. Goolsby, uh, a white man, the president could face criticism from progressive lawmakers and outside advocates who have called on the president to elevate a person of color or a woman to the Fed leadership. Uh, here's the thing, all right? Don't go with Austin Goolsby if he's not good at math. OK, if somehow he's just not the greatest economist in the country. All right. Then go with somebody else. But to just say it's all about identity politics and you're going to use his white skin against him. That's racism. I think there's going to be a collective snapback, don't you? This can't go on or can it? I'm worried but optimistic. I'll be right back. the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Hey guys, it's Carson. Are you looking to protect your money from Biden's America? Yeah, me too. Well, right now you can get up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last just by taking action in today's uncertain times. That's exactly why I've partnered with a great company, Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. Gold Co. is a six-time, 5,000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year with thousands of five-star reviews and have helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. If you call them today, qualified callers get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. Don't pass this up. Not while companies are laying off workers by tens of thousands and Chinese spy balloons are drifting over our country consequence-free. Protect yourself from Biden's America and see if you're eligible for up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. Here's the number, 855-735-3740. That's 855-735-3740 for Gold Co. This is the new ex-First Minister of Scotland. She no longer has that job. She resigned because her constituents had it with her crazy ideas when it came to transgender stuff. Uh, take a look. These are some of her deeds. She allowed a rapist to be sent to a female prison where that individual proceeded to rape women. Uh, also uh, pushed for a change that anybody over the six, uh, age of 16 could change their gender designation on their birth certificate just like that. Uh, she's gone now with a big chip on her shoulder. I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. To those who do feel shocked, disappointed, perhaps even a bit angry with me, please know that while hard, and being no doubt, this is really hard for me, my decision comes from a place of duty and of love. Tough love, perhaps. That's one intense accent they've got going on over there. I didn't really quite make uh, that out, but she's uh, not apologizing for those horrendous decisions. All right, Jared Kushner, uh, you know, he helped President Trump become President Trump, his son-in-law. Uh, he's a very smart individual. The fake news, they try to say, oh, this is just another Hunter Biden who's been hooked up because of his important father-in-law. 
That's not true, but they do try to push that idea. It's an outrageous abuse of power, and I agree with members of Congress who say it must be investigated. I'm not talking about Hunter Biden. I'm talking about Jared Kushner. We've got to try mm. to keep raising the attention of the American public above the turbulence that the Republicans are going to keep throwing. So they're going to keep trying to bait us with uh, Hunter Biden and ignore Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner was a successful businessman way before he met Donald Trump. Uh, let's go through it. Even in college, this guy was buying and selling multi-million dollar properties and making a lot of money. He came to New York, uh, became a lawyer and bought a newspaper. OK, uh, in 2006, that's way before he got involved with Ivanka Trump. Oh, and also he bought a building for over <laughs> for almost two billion dollars in 2007. Uh, he married Ivanka, I think, in 2011 or something like that. So uh, this is not the same deal, all right? And the same for the Trump children, Donald Trump Jr., Eric, Ivanka. They were involved in international business decades before their father went into politics. The same cannot be said of Hunter. You know, actually, in a way, some of this is not his fault. He was born into a political family. His father was a U.S. senator and uh, still... This guy, I hope they get answers and I hope we have accountability. Hunter and the brothers, Jared Kushner is clean as a whistle. All right. Somebody who's probably not that clean is Eric Adams. He is the mayor of New York City. Uh, he lives in a filthy place. I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, can we talk about his outfit? Anybody who dresses like this is not thinking about their job. They're thinking about, uh, well, this stuff, okay? This is a ludicrously overdone outfit. A double-breasted vest in a three-piece suit, peak lapels, it's plaid, the earring. The... It's crazy. It's crazy. I do believe he is more consumed with his appearance than with his very big job. And his performance yesterday in Albany uh, is not convincing me otherwise. I'm just an overall good guy. <laughs> I'm not sure that gets you anything in Albany, but thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah, it's all that big smile, cute, the clothes, right? I'm cool. He's incompetent. And he's a pretty dirty guy. I mean, literally dirty. His apartment, uh, a basement apartment, infested with rats. No kidding. He's got to pay a fine, uh, something like a couple hundred bucks, because uh, there are too many rats and he let the place get out of control. The mayor of New York City. Wow. We miss Rudy. We miss even Mike Bloomberg. Be right back. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. All right, here we go. There's President Trump at CPAC back in 2019. Remember the time he hugged the flag? 
CPAC, that was awesome. The Conservative Political Action Conference. Donald Trump actually, uh, you know, he really got the attention of conservatives a few years earlier when he showed up at CPAC and totally wowed everybody. CPAC is very, very important. It is fast approaching. The next CPAC will be Wednesday, March 1st through Saturday, March 4th. And for CPAC, we have Matt Schlapp to thank. Matt, welcome back. How are you? Great, Greg. Great to be with you again. Uh, Hey, do me a favor. Like, you started CPAC, and we all know that CPAC exists, and it's great, and it always makes news. But what is the official, does it have the official mission? What does CPAC try to accomplish each year? Well, well, you know, CPAC was actually started uh, back when I was like a toddler. And uh, it was to bring conservatives together in a big conference. You know, we were founded by William F. Buckley and other great conservatives that started the conservative movement in America. And it was like, how do we all work together? They had modest goals. They wanted to actually nominate a conservative uh, and see uh, to the presidency and see if he could win. Now CPAC has become a every day of the year organization that goes all over the globe. We have conferences in practically every continent. Uh, we have go all over America. We advocate for policies. We score every elected member of the legislature in every state at the state level and in Congress. So uh, we have a huge mission now. And uh, but unfortunately, the problems seem to have gotten worse, not better. Uh, my apologies to the late William F. Buckley. I mean, I'm sorry, Matt Schlapp, you took uh, CPAC, I think, to the next <laughs> level. You are synonymous with CPAC in my mind. Hey, by the way, thank you for your support. Uh, Newsmax, as you know, we've been yeah. <laughs> deplatformed by DirecTV. And you've been there. You sent a pretty pointed letter, which we appreciate very, very much. Uh, Thank you. And um, uh, tell us why you did that. Well, we have a Center for Corporate Accountability. And, you know, for too long, the conservative movement and the Republican Party has been taken for granted as an ally of big business as they advocate for lower taxes and less regulation and constitutional judges. But over time, they've taken us for granted And now they're trying to destroy our kids. They're trying to destroy our country. They think that we'll just be their ally on the cheap. And as far as I'm concerned, we're not their ally anymore. These companies are trying to destroy our families, trying to destroy our country. They're playing up to the woke mob. And I think canceling Newsmax is just part of this game they're playing to appease the left. If you look at the philanthropy they give to radical groups, most of these big companies, it's nothing compared to what the 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 money skirmish they say they're having with Newsmax. And of course, they fill the pockets of big media companies that own all types of uh, lefty cable networks that, you know, attack people like CPAC and my wife and myself and the great people across this country that are making a difference. And, you know, it's just hypocrisy. And we're going to start calling it out with with aggression. I'll tell you, we wrote the the CEOs and we included every board member. We're going to make every board member of these companies we're going to hold them to account, too. We've already received a letter. We'll be responding to the general counsel who wrote us this letter. And uh, I think my friends in the new majority in the House of Representatives are going to be interested in our point of view as well. If we can put up full screen two, the match slap letter, excerpt one, woke CEOs, tech oligarchs, government bureaucrats and left wing activists have engaged in information warfare to silence those with whom they disagree. Uh, That really is so true. Well, listen, thank you very much for your support. Uh, Who's coming this year? Uh, Tell us, please. Well, we have big news today. Uh, The former president of Brazil, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, is going to take the trip. 
and come up to be with us. He had a very controversial loss in his election, much like Donald Trump's controversial election here in America. He and Trump are allies. Um, Donald Trump, of course, is going to be here. A few of these people that are either taking on President Trump or rumored to be taking on President Trump are going to show up as well. They're going to make their pitch for why they should be the nominee. And everybody you want to hear from in Congress, Jim Jordan, the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, uh, James Comer, the chairman of the Oversight Committee, a lot of these new chairmen uh, from the House, the governors that you love are going to be there, these state AGs that are awfully important. And my favorite part is all these entrepreneurs are coming who have real solutions to these problems we have with the woke economy on debanking people, on not you know, not allowing good Americans to purchase things online. This idea that you can be canceled in your daily life. we got solutions to these problems, and these conservative entrepreneurs are stepping up. Were you there when Donald Trump came and the first time where, he, you know, way before he actually ran for president, it was like 2011, yes. 2012. Tell us a little bit about that episode, because it was, well, it was a significant one. It was one. great. It was great. The year I remember is Donald Trump is so unusual because all the famous politicians used to come in the back door and they didn't really want to like have to walk through and meet regular people. They always want to be dropped off at the loading dock and come in through the back. Donald Trump called up and said, you know what? I want to come, but I want to walk through the front door. And everyone was like, well, people don't really do that. They kind of come in the back. He goes, no, I think I'll come in the front door. He walks right in the front door. He looks like he's 10 feet tall. Everyone flocks to him. And, uh, and he's just, it's just his way. It was like he has never been afraid of walking into a crowd, talking to average Joes and Janes, and uh, mixing it up with the people. It's one of the reasons why he's such an amazing phenomenon in American politics. He can't do that quite as much as a former president because he'd be so mobbed and the Secret Service kind of has to have some rules. But it's his instinct to just jump in and talk to people. And think about this, Greg. He's come every year to CPAC, even after we had this terrible election in 2020. He just kept coming. He came right after that you know, depressing election. He came right the very next CPAC that we had in Florida. He loves going to these things. He loves mixing it up. And you know, if we did a montage of all the funny moments and all the interesting moments, it would be almost as long as one of his speeches because uh, he's really made news at CPAC, and I think he's made a big difference. Can you just tell us before we go, how did you get into politics? Uh, what was your first break? You know, I think I was a real geek. I was watching C-SPAN as a young kid, and I thought it was awesome to see a young Newt Gingrich like taking on the Democrats on the floor. I don't think there's a lot of kids that were like that, but for me, uh, that's just always something uh, that I enjoyed. And then you know, it's just happenstance. I got on George W. Bush's presidential campaign in 2000. I met some great people, learned a lot. And, uh, and I never thought in a million years I'd be running a group that William F. Buckley started. But, you know, I do believe God has a plan for you, and I've tried to follow it. And, uh, and it's been a heck of a ride. And you know what, Greg? I haven't given up on America, and I don't think God has either. Oh. Love it. Love it. Uh, match Lab. Hey, I know what you mean about Newt Gingrich on C-SPAN. I was enamored with him as well. I didn't take it as far as you did. I, I, I just thought, that, boy, this guy's really smart. And then I, uh, then I went around the dial. But Match Lab, uh, have a great CPAC. Everybody, March 1st, uh, 2023, which is this year, obviously, to Saturday, March 4th. Uh, thank you, sir, very, very much. And we'll be right back. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com
<laughs> I think police dogs are awesome. <laughs> They're just great. And I've heard that they form a really strong bond with uh, the officer that they're working with, and they're necessary. It's a basic law enforcement tool. It helps in so many different things, but there's a movement, a very serious one in California to end canine force, to end police dogs. Uh, listen to this guy. From the brutal attempts to quell the civil rights movement, Black Lives Matter protests, and their day-to-day -day use in law enforcement. Police canines remain a gross misuse of force, victimizing black and brown people disproportionately. All right, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's go to an expert, Officer Matthew Rook and his dog. Is that cash? <laughs> You're on. Hey, uh, Officer Matthew Rook, and I believe that's Cash. He's a co-founder of Hurricane Creek K9. He is a law enforcement veteran, 20 years. And uh, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hey, terrific. Uh, <laughs> it's great to see that. His name is Cash, right? It is. All right. Now, first off, I don't know if you heard what that guy said, but uh, there is this real effort to cancel canine uh, patrols. They want to basically they won't be allowed to use uh, in crowd control. They won't be able to use them in crowd control and in affecting arrests, dogs. They want to take them out of the equation. How do you feel about that? There's always going to be a place for canines in law enforcement. And when you when you talk about the use of force aspect of it, that that primarily rests on the department to determine their policy and determine what the what their community feels about it and work with their community. And that's where it needs to be taken is to the community to talk about how and what they feel is acceptable. And it's on the police department to educate them because it's not it's not a dog. The dog isn't inherently violent. And it's just it's a gross mischaracterization of what these dogs actually do. And it takes a use of a level of use of force out of our continuum that we no longer have at our disposal should the need arise. Uh, would you mind calling the dog back? And I'm kind of yes. curious. I'm kind of. <laughs> and it's true, uh, Officer Rook, that you guys, a, a typical canine officer, goes to work with the dog, comes home with the dog. You guys live with the dog 24-7, right? We do. We do. He's a part of my everyday life from the time that I wake up until the time that I go to bed. He is. It's like having a perpetual three-year-old. That's amazing. By the way, you're the co-founder of Hurricane Creek Canine, which is a facility. You're on a kennel that trains police dogs. How long does it take to train one of these dogs? Um, it depends on the dog, but you're looking between between 10 and 20 weeks, depending on the disciplines that you work with. If you're talking about odor detection, um, depending on the drive of the dog, it could take two or three weeks and then a, three or four weeks of finish up work to make sure that they're absolutely on point. Tell us a little bit about crowd control and dogs and how it works. I think we got the picture from Ferguson, right, where the dog is barking at the uh, at the people there. I saw that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, some people would say, "Oh, this is uh, this is you know negative, and they don't like this." But quite frankly, it could be a lot worse. I mean, we've seen these scenes get out of hand, and I like that there's distance between the protesters and the cops. And if the dog helps with that, that's a good thing. Um. 
one of the biggest things when it comes to crowd control with the canine is is that you have to look at who who all the police have there, why we're there, what's going on, and then you have to look at the crowd, if the crowd turns violent. Because at the end of the day, like I, you said a minute ago, this dog goes home with me. He lives with me. And so you think about the safety of your dog, but you also realize that the dog is a great deterrent to calm people. Um, there's certain ways to do it correctly. I think in policing, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We really are because we'll step out and one person will do something and it won't even be malicious. It will just be in the heat of the moment and it reflects poorly on everybody else. And I think we have to take those those moments, learn from them and go forward with instituting better policies, instituting better ways to do things. We constantly have to evolve, especially in today's rapid change, rapidly changing society. Absolutely. Let me ask you this about the dog. Can the dog, does the dog sense, how does the dog know who's a good guy or who's a bad guy? I mean, you've got to tell him that somehow with a command. Um, there's commands. Oh. You can all. <laughs> there's ways to do that through commands, but it also, when you're working with a seasoned dog like Cash, normally the person that's the most agitated, he's going to key in on because that's how we train. These dogs, these dogs go out on the streets and they do what they're trained to do. So in training, we go through aspects where we have crowd control. We go through aspects where we have um, loud, boisterous people doing things. And these dogs have to sit there and they have to be well-trained enough to hold back and to stay until they're told to go and take care of the problem. Or, and even if they go take care of the problem, they have to be able to be called back immediately if the person becomes compliant or the threat ends. So a lot of it has to do with the way that they're trained. And as you go along, the dog keys in a lot more on exactly what's going on. And big picture, you have the dog. Why do some cops have dogs? I know you need training, but some cops have them, some cops don't. Some situations have dogs, some situations don't. Based the basics, why dogs in police departments? Dogs can dogs can do things that we could never do, from sniffing narcotics to detecting explosives. Um, we work we work with them for their nose. We work with them because they help us find people. These dogs do extraordinary things, and to remove that tool from a police department is would, would be a shame. These dogs perform so many different tasks: evidence recovery. Um, tracking, just all sorts of stuff that we, could, we couldn't do on our own. And it's a force multiplier. So dogs have been in policing for uh, as, long as, as long as I can remember looking back through. And they're always going to have a place in law enforcement. Well, we got to say goodnight. We got to say goodnight to Cash as well. And uh, see you later, Cash. What kind of dog is that? Cash is a nine-year-old Belgian Malinois. Oh, wow. That's the one that got uh, Baghdadi, I think, right? That's the one who got Baghdadi over there in yeah. uh, the Middle East. Uh, one other thing, you should probably never pet a police dog unless they check in with the police officer, right? That's correct. Cash is completely social. He can go out to events and hang out with kids. Um, but it's always, always, always ask the officer if you can pet the dog before you go and reach uh, reach in to pet the dog because you could you could end up getting bit because that dog could 
perceive that as a threat. But we, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's wonderful when they have those events and kids can meet the police dog. I've uh, I've seen those and it's really neat. Well, hey, thank you for the insight. Really nice talking to you, uh, Officer Matthew Rook and uh, your dog there. Can you make him bark? I'm just curious. You don't have to make him bark, yes. but if you wanted yes. to, could you? He does. He also doesn't like to be quiet when the, we're talking on the radio either. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, continued. Uh, so be safe out there and best to the pooch and uh, take care. We'll be right back. So my book available wherever books are sold. Thank you very much to those who have purchased one and those who are considering it. Let me tell you this. It's got great pictures. It's a great big defense of law enforcement and a critique of what's happening right now. And there are some wonderful things that are happening. That's Officer Lawrence DiPrimo. He did not know this picture was being taken. On a very cold night a couple of years ago, he bought uh, that homeless guy shoes. Uh, that picture's in the book. Uh, and this horrible thing that's happening to cops. I talk about the origin of it, what happened, why it's happening. I defend Trump, quite frankly, this moment, which I thought was kind of amazing and just. Uh, a lot of folks don't know what happened before, during, and after. And I talk about my dad, Raymond W. Kelly, the longest-serving police commissioner in American history, I believe. Anyway, for your consideration, and I appreciate it so much. Justice for all, how the left is wrong about law enforcement. I'll see you tomorrow night.